Hi there, good afternoon. Thanks for 219K. Seems to be crashing right now. They don't want you to hear this awesome stuff. I do 24-7 podcasting and uh, dual podcasting often. Um, and cover all the stuff that Midas Touch puts out. Minus Touch Network, not just Minus Touch Podcast Legal AF. Biggest indictment yet, more to come. Jack's new strategy, Trump's crushed by indictments, and worst yet to come. Eh, eh, legal AF. 6.22 p.m. Joe Biden! This is awesome to use this as a Biden campaign ad. That is actually finishing what FDR started, that LBJ expanded on. And Joe Biden is attempting to complete programs to address education, education. medical care, urban problems, rural poverty, transportation, (laughs) Medicare, Medicaid, labor unions. Labor unions. And he still is working on it. And he still is working on it. This is the word that she made. (laughs) I wonder what she thinks about that. Somebody should ask her what she thinks about that. Smart the way he um, set it up so that people can understand, anyone can understand. You know, I think judges are conscious of the fact that lay people are reading uh, their decisions about Donald Trump, you know, because and, and the media, et cetera. And people are interested more so than they are in typical other judge orders and decisions and indictments. And so they're being written in ways that anyone can understand and and what struck me there were just two you know you you summarized it beautifully and perfectly so i'll just i'll just rather than go over all what you did already i'll just mention two more things Um, the thing i thought he did the the best was describe how how and, and as you said donald trump knows this already how really you're not there is no standing meaning there's no you have no right to have a court interfere when there's no criminal case yet just an investigation Are disqualified Trump now. Tell him Midas Mighty too. Tell him disqualify Trump now and charge him removed from office 160 GOP traitors. Four. Jan 6 insurrection. Thanks. And so he did a great job at explaining why and why it is that there has to be some kind of harm or injury and, and just, you know, having an investigation against you doesn't count. And in fact, for you, Trump, it's actually helped you. So you're not, not only are you not harmed, you're helped because you're raising so much money with this. So it's just one more time to underscore that when there's an investigation, uh, when, when, when there's an investigation, 
it, it doesn't, um, there, there is no opportunity to have a judge inter, interfere with that. Wait, wait until there's a case brought and then, and then you can make your motions, right? Let's start from the beginning. Of being on the uh, and sure Donald Trump and there. one federal judge. Up. Yeah, legal AF, great show. One of my favorites. Donald Trump indicted again by Jack Smith. We have nah. three conspiracies, four criminal counts, six co-conspirators, one named defendant, Donald Trump, and one federal judge, Obama appointee Judge Tanya Chutkin. Nah. We will all collide tomorrow for surrender, arrest, and arraignment oh, she's in the District of Columbia. We unpack the 125-paragraph indictment, the featured roles of Mike Pence, not a co-conspirator, and Rudy Giuliani, a featured co-conspirator, the contributions of the Jan 6 committee report, and what... Oh, look at... <laughs> I said, oh, look at that lovely Obama judge. What the hell? Oh man. Anyway, thanks for 219K. 219K. Very close call, and it probably could get. Superior Court Judge McBurney denied Trump's. Donald Trump indicted again by Jack Smith. We have three conspiracies, four criminal counts, six co conspirators. One named defendant, Donald Trump, and one federal judge, Obama appointee Judge Tanya Chutkin, who will all collide tomorrow for surrender, arrest, and arraignment in District of Columbia. We unpack the 125-paragraph indictment, the featured roles of Mike Pence, not a co-conspirator, and Rudy Giuliani, a featured co-conspirator, the contributions of the Jan 6 Committee report, and what to expect next, including potential separate indictments in separate cases of the other co-conspirators, as well as Trump's lawyers already trying to cook up a free speech, reliance on counsel, no criminal intent set of defenses. Then we update everyone on the developments in the Mar-a-Lago criminal prosecution, with Carlos de Oliveira having his arraignment postponed, sound familiar, while Stan Woodward, the Trump-backed, appointed, and paid-for lawyer, facing ethical conflict of interest hearing sought by the Department of Justice based on the fact that he represents five of the main witnesses or co-conspirators <laughs> in the Mar-a-Lago superseding indictment. Yeah. Will he be able to continue to represent Walt Nauda, Molly Michael, Haley Harrison, all at the same time while having once represented lead cooperating co-conspirator Finally, our eyes turned to Fawnie Willis in Fulton County where she gave a recent interview that her work is now done after just two and a half weeks of the regular grand jury How are you doing, huh, Mimi? As she owes it to the people Hi, of Mimi. County and the U.S. to indict Hi, people guys. who interfered huh? in the election. While her old boss, Fulton County Superior Court Judge McBurney, denied Trump's latest attempt to disqualify Fawnie and throw out her seven months of special purpose grand jury work. <laughs> and the sheriff of Fulton County says that if Trump is indicted, He'll be mugshot and fingerprinted like the rest. Good. The Department of Justice Special Counsel's Office now has two indictments, or three, 
in the less in less than nine months of being on the job, uh -huh. they have the right indictment now for the right crimes for the right moment, the right court, the right judge. Karen, it is literally exhausting. Uh -huh. But exhilarating to see accountability and justice in real time as we predicted. And now we're just talking about the timing of criminal trials, not the ifs and whens. Or, or who knows when of indictments. With Bonnie Willis ready to strike in about three weeks to give us four total indictments. Trump at state federal level transactions while campaigning for office, while in office, his refusal to leave office, and after he left office. And if all of this was not enough, lightest touch launched a brand new website. And we have all new Legal AF t-shirts and designs. God, all this is so much more on the midweek edition of Legal AF Podcast. Only one place to mind touch network with your hosts for the midweek, Michael Popak and Karen Friedman at Nipolo KFA. Oh, so great to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot going ah, on, right? It's crazy. Ah. You, you said two or three indictments by John ah, Stewart. And the reason, uh, and that was because, you know, people are wondering, it's because Marlon, don't forget, Trump was indicted twice, right? He's indicted the first time, and then a superseding indictment. So that's, and he's going to have to be on that superseding Mar-a-Lago indictment. Uh, that's how it is. It's a brand new charging instrument that has brand new charges. And, uh, and then we have the one that just came down yesterday, the... Jan, the one we've all been waiting for, the indictment against our democracy, the Jan 6 one. Yes, it is exhausting. I'm exhausted. You know, I, I did a marathon yesterday on CNN with, you know, until 1 o'clock in the morning wow. uh, reporting on this stuff. And I keep thinking, God, all these marathons keep happening over and over again. And then I realized it's because we have a former so president much crime. who's a one-man crime spree. I yeah. Mean, the guy now exactly. has one four man crime spree. four times. The two superseding, the Jan 6 Alvin Bragg, and then we're going to soon get Bonnie Willis. I mean, you know, even career... Just, uh, press Trump or prison. Criminals who you who are traditional career criminals don't get five indictments in a year. I mean, this is just unprecedented. It's unbelievable to me what a what a one man crime spree he, is. He, it's the most and best set of indictments ever for a former president. I think he's up to. I'm doing my math right. 37, 34, four, and I think four. He's up to 80, eight zero felony counts. Between all the indictments, he can't help it. He's a crimeaholic. Hasn't even indicted yet. So and that it doesn't even. He can't help it. He's a crimeaholic. Take him away to home for criminally insane. Where's the psyche valve? Trista for pres. Trump for prison. With the Trump organization, right? That was convicted recently. Right. Sure. So let's yeah. do that. Let's add 17 to 80, because there were 17 counts in New York State Supreme Court by your old office in Manhattan DA. We've got a 17 count today. That's 97. And now we bring in Bonnie Willis with at least 
which which Jack Smith has plus. He's got Jad Six plus. You know, like a streaming service. He gets he because he has dozens of more witnesses that he was able to strip of attorney-client privilege and force them to testify. So we don't see that here again because he made a prosecutorial decision that the weight of the evidence that he has at his disposal that he's going to use for his indictment doesn't support the planning and starting of it. It, it supports the using of it. The fire was started, then they used the fire as an excuse to try to further delay the peaceful transfer of power. The other thing that's not in the indictment that was in the Jan 6 committee reporting, which I found interesting, was any argument about the grift using the big lie that he had lost the election to raise yeah, money down. to separate America money first pack. in a wire fraud or mail fraud Stop the from donors and use that money to pay for lawyers as a cover-up or interference with witnesses and the, and the investigation. Could have been in there, may still be presented tangentially as evidence at trial, but not in the indictment. You gotta flush it right, like a turd. What is How about all the other Congress well, members who took part in the insurrection? Let's flush them. You're not going to be disappointed. Because that same five-step chain of the conspiracy, you know, is really almost exactly the same as what the Jan 6 committee Flush, let's flush them like turds. Flush them like turds. Remove and prosecute them all. Christopher Perez, Trump Pizian. Okay. What about the 160 plus Congress members who took part in orchestrating the insurrection? Marty's mighty called DOJ. Midas called DOJ. 202-514-2000. Remove and prosecute them all. Presented to us. And what I thought I'd like to do is just go to those particular links in the conspiracy. So for people, when they walk off of the show, they can say, well, what was that indictment all about? Here are the five easy pieces, if you will, of the, of the conspiracy. And we'll find it on paragraph 10 of the indictment in subparagraphs A through E. And I'm gonna just, I'll, para I'll, I'll read some of it verbatim and I'll paraphrase other points. Um, and this is the conspiracy to, the, to through dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to defeat, obstruct, or impair or, or, uh, a uh, function of the federal what? government. In this case, vote counting, electoral certificate certification, and the like. Um, first step, the defendant and the co-conspirators, that's Trump, and the co-conspirators use knowingly false claims of election fraud to get state legislators and election officials to subvert the legitimate election results and change electoral votes from the defendant's opponent, Joe Biden, to electoral votes for the defendant. That is, on the pretext of faceless fraud claims, the defendant pushed officials in certain states, those are the battleground states, to ignore the popular vote, disenfranchise millions of voters, dismiss legitimate electors, and ultimately cause the ascertainment of and voting by illegitimate electors in favor of the defendant. That is the fake elector scheme. 
two, step two in the conspiracy. The defendant and co-conspirators organized fraudulent slate of electors in seven targeted states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, attempting to mimic the procedures that legitimate electors were supposed to follow under the Constitution. And this included them meeting uh, and gathering, casting a vote, casting fraudulent votes for the defendant, and signing certificates falsely representing that they were legitimate electors. Um, the defendant and co-conspirators then caused these fraudulent electors to transmit their false certificates to the vice president and other government officials to be counted at the certification proceeding on Jan 6. Moving to step three, the defendant and co-conspirators attempted to use the power and authority of the Justice Department. That would be Jeff Clark to conduct sham election crime investigations and to send a letter to the targeted states that falsely claimed that the Justice Department had identified significant concerns that may have impacted the election outcome, that sought to advance the defendant's fraudulent elector plan by using the Justice Department's authority to falsely present the fraudulent electors as a valid alternative to the legitimate electors. Here we go, number four step in the conspiracy chain, fourth badge of the conspiracy. The defendant and co-conspirators attempted to enlist the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the Jan 6 certification proceedings to fraudulently alter the election results. That is the pressure campaign on Mike Pence. And when that failed, on the morning of Jan 6, the defendant and co-conspirators repeated knowingly false claims of elections fraud to gathered supporters, falsely told them that the vice president had the authority to and might alter the election results, and directed them to the Capitol to obstruct the certification proceeding and exert pressure on the vice president. And then lastly, the big conspiracy. After it became public on the afternoon of Jan 6, that the vice president would not fraudulently alter the election results, a large and angry crowd, including many individuals whose defendant had deceived into believing the vice president could and might change the election results, violently attacked the Capitol and halted the proceedings. As violence ensued, the defendant, Trump, and co-conspirators exploited the disruption by redoubling efforts to levy false claims of election fraud and convince members of Congress to further delay the certification based on those claims. That, in a nutshell, if you take nothing away from the 129-paragraph indictment, that is the five-step conspiracy. And then we just, the window dressing, of course, is the four, uh, four crimes that uh, uh, Jack Fraud is, is prepared to use. I'll have Karen Freeman Sniffle talk about that. And then, of course, we've got, lastly, the co-conspirators. And I'll let Karen comment on one through five, and then she and I can have a fun game of trying to predict who number six is. I was able to, I think, right pick one through five last night. And six, I've come around with a hot take as to who I thought number six was. So why don't you talk about the indictment from your perspective? You have a very, you were dead on about size and shape of it and the reason for that. And I want you, that's a valuable opinion. I want you to contribute here. So why don't you take it, take it away, Karen Friesen. Yeah, so... Look, you know, we, we often say we're reading the tea leaves, but we're not really just reading tea leaves. We're bringing our experience and our expertise and our analysis to what we see happening, and we make, uh, we give 
our predictions or our assumptions, and you know they they typically turn out to be either right or close to right on legal AF. I will say we're I think we're pretty much on the money when it comes to most of these things, and and this was no different. You know this was a Donald Trump is is kind of like a, a one man crime spree. I hate to say it. You know I mean this number of indictments in this short amount of time with this number of crimes is, is sort of unheard of. Uh, I don't know anyone or too many people who are have that number of charges being brought against him. And and Jack Jack Smith could have brought as as we've said many times. Called do you? You know what you contribute here. So why don't you take it take it away, Karen Friedman? Yeah, so, look, you know, we, we often say we're reading the tea leaves, but we're not really just reading tea leaves. We're bringing our experience and our expertise and our analysis to what we see happening, and we make, uh, we give our predictions or our assumptions, and, you know, they, they typically turn up our predictions or our... Hold on, Tristeau. I'm making a clip. Uh, Donald Trump is is kind of like a, a one-man crime spree. I hate to say it. You know, I mean, this number of indictments in this short amount of time with this number of crimes is, is sort of unheard of. Uh, I don't know anyone or too many people who are have that number of charges being brought against him. And And Jack, Jack Smith could have brought, as, as we've said many times, hundreds of different counts uh, against Donald Trump and others. This could have been a 20, 25 uh, defendant case, you know, but look, in the end, you can't fit that many people in a courtroom at a table. You're going to have to split it up anyway. And so if you're, if you're going to have to do that as a prosecutor, it takes a really experienced prosecutor to do what Jack Smith did. A, a junior prosecutor, someone without a lot of experience, doesn't have the confidence to not throw the kitchen sink and everything that they have, that they know, just in case, as we've said many times, hundreds of different counts. KFA Beach. I'm at the beach. If anybody else, Beach Haven West in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, against. Hello, darlings. KMC Student Radio at the University of Arizona. Against Donald Trump and others. This could have been a 20, 25 
uh, defendant case, you know, but look, in the end, you can't fit that many people in a courtroom at a table. You're going to have to split it up anyway. And so if you're, if you're going to have to do that as a prosecutor, it takes a really experienced prosecutor to uh, do what Jack criminals. Smith did. Uh, a junior prosecutor Which is what Jack Smith is. Doesn't have a confidence. Milosevic. He helped nail Milosevic. Here. 
Um, and that's, that's what, what would happen. And so Jack Smith was like, no, we're going to keep it simple. We're going to have it be just Donald Trump, just his lawyers making his legal arguments. And I'm not going to charge the, char the, the, the counts. I'm not going to charge the crimes that have your defenses. Not that I can't, I can't overcome them, but why? Why not just take them off the table, especially when he's facing something like more than 20 years with the four charges that he put here. So I think it shows that he's very experienced. Are you okay, baby doll? How's the hanker, huh? How's the hanker? The sure way to I'm saying you on somebody and charge them with a crime when they haven't been charged with a crime. So you don't name people who you are accusing you know, of, a, of committing a crime if you haven't charged them. And the way that is done always is done as unindicted co-conspirator number one, unindicted co-conspirator number two, unindicted co-conspirator number three. That is the way most, if not all, indictments typically look that, are, that, that do that. Now, you have to understand 
Jack Smith's uh, indictment that we have all read has been wordsmithed to death, not the you know, pun intended, right? Wordsmithed. It's been looked at by, by many, 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 many eyes. Every single word that is in there has been negotiated, changed, and is deliberate. So it's very deliberate that in that indictment it says co-conspirator one, co-conspirator two. It does not say unindicted co-conspirator one, right? It's omitting the word unindicted. What that tells me is they've been indicted. So I believe that the six co-conspirators have been indicted. They just haven't filed the indictment yet. It hasn't been unsealed yet. They haven't it hasn't gone public yet, and and perhaps the they will come out, uh, they will see that as well, and they will try to negotiate with Jack Smith some kind of a cooperation agreement prior to this becoming public. Now, I think everybody agrees that co-conspirator number one is Giuliani, number two is Johnny Smith, number three is Sidney Powell, number four is Jeffrey Clark, and number five is Ken Cheeseborough. But the head scratcher has been uh, has been co-conspirator number six, and you know I and others thought at Boris first it probably just given the facts looked like it might be Boris Boris Epstein. But the problem is he's a lawyer. Isn't he like Jeffrey Epstein's cousin lawyer, or something? Where the other co-conspirators are described as lawyers. The New York Times is reporting today that they compared an email uh, that they have. That was sent uh, it was by Boris Epstein or to Boris Epstein, um, and the factual scenario is identical to what's in the indictment. Well, was, yeah, so they're calling it at Boris now. I've got a hot take, and I'm going with Boris. I originally said last night when we did it, but I agree, we were very careful in calling this attorney, this attorney, this attorney, this attorney. But it's almost like a diss by the Justice Department. Boris Epstein is an attorney. But he's also a uh, self-proclaimed political consultant for Donald Trump. We know he's an attorney because he gets to sit at the big boy table when there, there is an arraignment. Every time we've seen um, Donald Trump sweating, cold, cold flop sweating in a courtroom, usually cold flop sweating next to him is Boris Epstein. He's the guy that also brought in uh, Todd Blanche to be the lawyer for Donald Trump and made the switch and got really rid of Joe Sacatino. I assume he was involved with me and John Morrow. But yeah, I think it's interesting because I, I read that Times article and I thought it was anyway just because of the role that Boris played as the centerpiece of coordinating all of the fake electors. And all the fake elector ground game ran, it, ran was really run not by Mike Roman, even though Mike Roman was election day coordinator and did run around literally grabbing the election certificates and forwarding them. But the person that they were reporting to apparently was not Mark Meadows, was not Giuliani, was not even John Eastman or Cheeseboro, it was Boris Epstein. And we've said for a long time here at Legal AF that Boris Epstein had a tremendous target on his back. I was surprised he wasn't indicted already, given uh, the fact they picked up, the Justice Department picked up his cell phone six months ago, his text messages, part of Operation Coconut, which is the internal investigation tape team for the Justice Department, a special counsel's office, looking at all the lawyers, former lawyers and current lawyers, or Donald Trump's text messages, including Cleta Mitchell and him. So, listen, I, I think I think we have that. Before we leave, though, we've gone through the co-conspirators, we've gone through all that. I want to talk about the defenses that are already being raised and although already being crapped on 
I need witnesses like Mike Pence. One of the ones that's been floated over the last week or so by the new lawyer for Donald Trump, John Laurel, on television and otherwise, is reliance on counsel. They're going to try to argue that because Donald Trump had a bunch of, I'll use Mike Pence's phrase, crackpot lawyers around him giving him advice about what the vice president can or can't do constitutionally to interfere with the election or certify the election um, and other advice from Giuliani, Cleo Mitchell, Sidney Powell, Jenna Ellis, um, Boris Epstein, and the rest, or Team Crazy as we like to call it, um, that he has some sort of out that he'll be able to run in front of a jury and as a legitimate defense to try to defeat criminal intent, willfulness, and what we call Ben's rea, because you see it in all of their talking points. Stephen Chung, you know, the president's spokesperson who's always trotted out every day for some sort of statement. You know, multiple lawyers around Donald Trump. We saw John Loro try it. And the second one they're trying out, including as early as today, we have a clip of John Loro. He's like the new Joe Tacopina. Um, is First Amendment, First Amendment, First Amendment. So all, all that Donald Trump was doing was First Amendment speech because he believed he won. And if you read the indictment carefully, it has nothing to do with First Amendment speech. Jack Smith and his team were very careful to talk about conduct, interference with the election, fake elector certificates, um, you know, you know, uh, using the Jan 6 insurrection that's going on as a, an ability, as a tip of the spear, in order to try to stop the peaceful transfer of power, the pressure campaign, knowing knowing based on facts that you lost given to you by your national intelligence director your head of cybersecurity protection for the election your general white house counsel your deputy white house counsel your your attorney general uh, election officials in states that voted for you uh, secretaries of state speakers of the house you can't as a reasonable person therefore bury your head and cover your eyes and ignore those facts and to continue under some sort of First Amendment to continue to berate election and elected officials to try to convert votes and tell people fraud about the election. So um, that is the two levels of defense. I want to cover all of that and get back to both um, some interesting things about the Department of Justice that's in the, that's in the uh, indictment and get Karen's view on these defenses and how do you think they're going to work in in the in a courtroom which is where we fly our trade but first here's a word from our sponsor i'm so excited uh, to say that this episode is brought to you by yeah. eat sleep we've spent almost half our lives in bed and if you're a woman of a certain age like me regulating your body temperature and getting She's a woman out of a sudden age with our show on a regular basis, so thank you. KPYT, Pasquale Yaki, Travel Radio. Two defenses, they're already floating. John Loro, and we'll show a clip of it later. Karen, what do you think about those? The defenses are, you know, look, you gotta say something, right, if you're a defense attorney. But the, the, the First Amendment defense, which is the free speech defense, right? That's what he's going to say. That's what's politics. People say all sorts of things, and politicians say all sorts of things. And 
we're going to start fact, you know, they have to fact check each other. We're going to start criminalizing political speech when they say things that are are not true. Uh, you know, that's that's, that's what John Laura was just, just trying to suggest. Do you want to play the John Laura clip so that you can react to it? Sure. Let's, let's play John Laura, the new lawyer for Donald Trump, about First Amendment defense. In addition to him saying First Amendment defense, he's also taken on the Donald Trump strategic uh, way of communicating, which is interrupting, talking over the person, not letting him finish their sentence. I mean, that's what Donald Trump does, right? It's this, just, it's like, just be a bully and aggressive, and it's really, um, you know. Sean Morrow is just going to attack a penis if he finds out. Let's Earlier this morning, I had a chance to speak to one of Mr. Trump's defense attorneys, John Morrow, and started with the timing of the trial. The special counsel said yesterday he would like to see a speedy trial. Seventy days from now, are you ready to go? Would you like to see a speedy trial? Yeah, the speedy trial right is the defendant's right, right. the government's right. So we're entitled to understand what the charges are. We're entitled to do all investigation. The special counsel or the Justice Department, the Biden Justice Department, has had three years to investigate this. Uh, to take President Trump to trial in 90 days, of course, is absurd. The question is, why do they want to do that? If you want to seek justice, then you need to offer Mr. President, Hi, President Trump an opportunity to get a hold of all the evidence and understand what yeah. I don't think that was quite the clip. Do you have the other part of the clip, Stassi, where he talks about First Amendment rights? That was a clip, which I'm <laughs> quite the clip we were looking for. While we're looking for that clip, um, <laughs> um, well, we'll get back to that in a minute. There were two other right. things I just wanted to mention about yeah. the indictment, and then we'll go back to that while Salty's looking yeah. for it. Sure. Um, so, the, number one, the thing that I thought was uh, kind of a blockbuster in the indictment was um, was the fact that Mike Pence is going the, the key witness, like he's the victim, the witness, and he took notes, you know, contemporaneous notes of his conversations with Donald Trump. Who does that? He was, I mean, and, and think about this just logistically. This is Trump's vice president, right? They, they were together and they were serving together. And you're going to have Mike Pence testify against the president that he served as the star witness, right? He's the witness to so much of this. And I just thought that was astonishing. And and why did he take these notes, right? Why did he take these notes with his conversations with Trump? And he did it because for the same reason others took notes with their conversations with him, which is they're trying to cover themselves because they could tell they were being asked to do things that were criminal illegal. and, you know, that were illegal. And it, so he had these notes for... for I the love police. I thought that was... I don't that was, everybody yeah, else. We all knew he was oh, cooperating, but to the extent that he's going to play a leading role in this trial, I thought that that was really highlighted here. And the second thing that, that stood out to me about this trial, or about this case, hey. was... You know, Fannie Willis did a, did a good thing, which is she broadcasted to the world, really to Jack Smith, when she's when she's going, and that it's going to be a big, detailed in, indictment, right? And she did that for several reasons. She said she did it for security reasons, and I was fairly confident that there was zero coordination. And we talked about this on uh, on one of our our legal AS. There's no communication or coordination between Jack Smith and Fannie Willis. And I know that just because I've been involved in these types of cases, and prosecutors don't do that. And one 
won't do that. It's totally and utterly inappropriate, and it would be uh, put, put everybody in a difficult position. And she confirmed as much that they has, there has been no coordination or communication. But she signaled to Jack Smith because Hi, you know, there's going to be a lot of similarities in their cases, right? She's going to bring uh, the, the fake elector scheme in Georgia and potentially other states, and she knows Jack Smith is doing the same thing. So she kind of signaled to Jack Smith, this is when I'm going, so if you're going to do it, do it first, because I don't want to screw up your case. So what Jack Smith, and, and in the indictment, there are many pages where he details the fake elector scheme in each state. And he's got an Arizona section, and a Michigan section, and a Georgia section, and so on, Wisconsin section. Watch out, darling. He talks about Watch out, little guys. what the, the fake Hi, elector scheme was in each of the states. And he, detailed, he put details in there. And, and that provided uh, a roadmap for Bonnie Willis to make sure that at least her evidence doesn't conflict with his. Because boy, would that be tricky, right? If one of them gets it wrong and they have conflicting uh, theories, conflicting narratives. So I thought that was something else that uh, that was done in the indictment that Bonnie Willis, is, I, I bet she's going to be doing, and she's going to be looking at her draft indictment and making sure that, that they, there is no conflicting uh, evidence um, and testimony uh, that will come in at the trial. So uh, if you want to go back to the defenses, I don't know if we were well, able to... Well, you know, I want to, yeah, well, let's do it this way. I think the, the defense of uh, reliance on counsel, I think, is a dead bang loser. you got Mike Pence already saying today that Donald Trump was surrounded by his quote, not mine, crackpot lawyers that were giving him bad advice. We know who the crackpot lawyers are. They're led by somebody who is all over. The indictment is littered with one other person other than Donald Trump. If I had to name one, it's Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani is all over the indictment, leading the charge, leading Team Crazy. So you got Rudy, who's recently come out and says, I'm not cooperating with Jack Smith. I'm not going to, I'm telling the truth and Donald Trump did nothing wrong, which of course is sick. Is a fast train ticket to indictment land. <laughs> Giuliani, you should know that as former U.S. attorney. Um, but so the whole reliance thing doesn't work if the client is actually the one pulling the strings and uh, brings in these people in order to give him cover for his cling power and his thirst and love power. And the world he did have co some competent lawyers around him, and all of them arrayed against him to tell him that they lost the election, but all of his fraudulent um, uh, attacks on Joe Biden's win were false, were not right, were not corroborated, there was no evidence, there was no election dispositive fraud, as Jack Smith liked to say in the indictment, that would have changed the outcome of the election or in any of the battleground states. Jack Smith took certain pains to say the only way that Donald Trump could have won the election, as he was told by his own election people, his own campaign manager, was if he won five states, starting with Arizona, and that he and that he told Donald Trump there was a 10% chance you'd be able to run the table on those five states, and the next day, his own campaign and his own lawyers in a courtroom told the judge that they had lost Arizona, and that's in the indictment very early on in the indictment. And for, and for Jack Smith, that's what starts it. You knew you lost Arizona. Your lawyers knew you lost Arizona. They told the judge you lost Arizona, and there was no coming back from that. The other scary thing about the indictment that I had never heard before, but for the first time saw in the indictment, was about Jeff Clark. Now, I've heard a lot of crazy things about Jeff Clark. The number three or four 
who was was pining away in the last 12 days to be the attorney general because he's a big election denier, big MAGA, big MAGA, and um, has, it believes in the unitary executive branch and the president is a dictator and all that. Um, and I was like, okay, thank God this guy never got to be in the big chair as the attorney general because we know what he would have done because he had a draft letter, a Department of Justice letterhead that he was prepared to send to election officials all around the country, the battleground states, telling them that the Department of Justice, on letterhead, officially recognized election fraud, and that they should recognize the fake elector certificates as real certificates. That, okay, so, here's what happened. Here's what we knew happened, and then I'll tell you what's new in the indictment. What we knew happened is that there was almost a mutiny. When Donald Trump tried to elevate uh, Jeff Clark into that role and write that letter and send that letter out, Pat Philbin and Patrick Cipollone told Donald Trump in no uncertain terms that they were going to leave and there was going to be a mutiny and all his lawyers were going to walk out, much like what happened in Nixon and Midnight Massacre. What we didn't know was the conversation, the content of the conversation involving Jeff Clark, Donald Trump, and Pat Philbin, and we also didn't know until the indictment that Donald Trump offered the job of Attorney General to Jeff Clark and he accepted it. We always thought it was it, it was um, a proposal that Trump floated, not that it was an offer and acceptance. So in paragraph 80 of the indictment, the indictment says, based on the facts, also on the morning of Jan 3. I mean, come on, we're like 17 days left in the administration and we're still picking new attorney generals, really? Also on the morning of Jan 3, co-conspirator number four, Eastman met with the defendant at the White House. I'm sorry, Jeff Clark. I said Eastman. Jeff Clark met with defendant at the White House. Again, without having informed senior Justice Department officials, right? He's number four. He's not just going to meet with the president without his boss. Like Jeff Rosen. Like, hey, tell them what? Tell them what? what? It's, not just for, it's not just for protocol. It's not just for, you know... Yeah, yeah, well, I'm going to read for the indictment. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah, 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 okay. And it... <laughs> Let me start again. <laughs> again, without having informed senior Justice Department officials, and accepted accepted the defendant's offer that he become acting Attorney General. We'd only heard rumors that that was something Donald Trump was thinking about in the recesses of his brain. Not that he had actually offered it and it was accepted. So for a moment, there was a moment where Jeff Clark thought he was the Attorney General. The next paragraph says, on the afternoon, on the afternoon Ow, of that same ouch. day, co-conspirator four, Jeff Clark, spoke with a deputy White House counsel. That's Pat Philbin. The previous months, Pat Philbin had informed the defendant, Trump, that, quote, there is no world, there is no option in which you do not leave the White House on January 20th. Now that same deputy White House counsel, Philbin, tried to dissuade co-conspirator four, Clark from assuming the role of acting attorney general. The deputy White House counsel reiterated to, to Clark that there had not been outcome determinative fraud in the election, and that if the defendant remained in office nonetheless, that there would be, quote, riots in every major city in the United States. Clark responded, quote, well, act. that's why there's an insurrection act. 
I mean, it is, I, I'm just, I just got a chill right down my spine. That Jeff Clark will use the Insurrection Act as the head of the Department of Justice to crush riots in the streets. Now we go to the suspension of the Constitution and martial law being invoked in order for Donald Trump to stay in power. Thank you. Yeah, so I was just going to say the reason um, they kept telling Jeffrey Clark, the environmental guy, right? He, at one point they were like, can't you go find an oil spill or something to go deal with? <laughs> uh, they were telling him, you are not to speak to the president directly. The only people who are allowed to speak to the president directly Hello, are the baby. attorney general and the, act, or the deputy attorney general, or the acting attorney general and the acting deputy attorney general is, is, is a very, very important to um, to have that protocol because you don't want in undue influence from the president on criminal prosecutions. This has to be it has to be all criminal prosecutions have to be have to be um, not have any political influence. They have to be without fear or favor, and so that's why they do it like that. Uh, before we move on to to our next section, I just want to say two more things. Um, number one is uh, the defense of First Amendment. Uh, and, and that's going to be one of his primary defenses is, look, you know, I can say whatever I want, and I'm running, you know, I'm the president, I can say what I want, I can say what I want. And Jack Smith did a great job of saying, yes, you can say what you want, and that is protected by the First Amendment. And you're even allowed to challenge an election uh, appropriately. You can ask for audits, you can go to court, you can, you know, do, you can use a legitimate and appropriate means. But, but, but what our listeners have to understand and what a lot of people know is the First Amendment, the right to free speech, is not an absolute right. You, you do have a right to, to say what you want to say. You are even allowed to lie. Lies are protected by the First Amendment. But where it becomes criminal is when you lie to try and get something that you're not supposed to get, like by fraud. So uh, an example that, that my friend Norman Eisen gave last night on television was you know, you could, you know, people would say, look, I can, I can go, I can't go into a bank and say, you know, give me all your money and say, oh, I'm protected by free speech. You know, that, that's just not okay because that's, that's causing someone to give, you know, holding up a gun and, or whatever, you know, pretending you have a gun and they're going to give you the money. Uh, you know, that becomes a crime. You don't have free speech right to yell fire in a crowded theater, right? Because that would cause, you know, stampede and whatever, unless there is a fire in a crowded theater, right? You can't just do that. So the First Amendment right is not absolute, and that defense is going is not going to fly. And the only other thing I want to um, say before we move on is I want to talk about uh, how great the judge is that we got here, right? That that was assigned to this case. Nah, Obama. Tuchin, she's an Obama appointee. She nah, was at random. And she she's lovely. Has overseen many of the Jan Six rioter cases. And, she's you know, going to she deliver us from evil. So, and she she previously rejected Trump's attempt to avoid uh, disclosing some documents to the Jan Six committee. You know, writing presidents are not kings. So I think she's a great judge. She will uh, not allow she'll him give to us do his justice. shenanigans. She'll keep tight control over the case. And there's a chance, I think if there's any chance that this case goes to trial before the election, we got a great judge for that. Well, that's a good segue to talk about Mar-a-Lago, where we're not sure we have a great judge. In fact, we're probably pretty sure we have one that is very inexperienced and over her skis. I mean, Tanya Chupkin is applying should resign. I should send her a letter. Circuit court, which can resign, bitch. A feeder, a feeder I mean, recuse yourself and resign. Your city judge. You go D.C. Circuit Court 
which is which is I would argue there's probably three plums in the federal court system that you'd want to be appointed to Southern District New York Second Circuit that covers New York maybe four Federal Circuit Court of Appeals and DC Circuit and then the Court of Appeals for DC Circuit maybe now that's five but these are all potential places where people will end up and usually from the DC Circuit you end uh, the DC judge like this one a circuit court judge whose husband is also a former Superior Court judge in New York so as I said in a hot take it sort of runs in the family being a judge runs the family which is nice family business but she is before even this I would have thought would have been on a short list for uh, much like Ketanji Brown Jackson came out of that went to the uh, Court of Appeals and then on at the Supremes and the other and, and I can name a number of other people as well if, if uh, Joe Biden gets another opportunity to name somebody the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, now it's a little complicated, <laughs> given she's the judge presiding over arguably, you know, one of the most historic federal trials in the history of federal trials. But it's, I think it's clearly, given her background, her experience sentencing Gen 6 people. Um, we, we used to call her, I used to call her Hang'em High Chuckin, because she, she was the harshest of all the judges in sentencing, she's been opposed to Donald Trump, including the tax returns at the House Ways and Means Committee, and getting those turned over. She was supported by the Supreme Court on that one. She's just a really great judge, not just for you know democracy. Yes, yes. Yeah. She's just a very, very good federal judge. In contrast, we've got Eileen Cannon, and now we're pressure testing Eileen Cannon because you know the Department of Justice has another case there. 